0: In chapter 5, reading the first 10 verses of chapter 5, every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. He is able to deal greatly and uh, gently and ignorant (laughs) with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God, who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to him, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God uh, des- designated him to be a high priest In the order of Melchizedek, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house this morning to learn from your word. Lord, we ask that you would bless the rest of this service as we go and we we worship you through uh, leaning into your word, Lord. We ask that you would apply this to our hearts. Lord, that when we go from here, we would be able to pull this memory back and use it within our lives, Lord. Lord, we thank you for all the the blessings that you have given each of us individually. We thank you for the blessings that you have given us as a full church. We thank you for the leadership of this church, Lord, and we ask that you would uh, continue to work in their lives and their families' lives, Lord. Uh, Give them the wisdom they need to not just direct this church, Lord, but to direct their own lives as well. Lord, we ask that you would be with each and every one of us as we sit here. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would take any distraction off of our hearts today. Lord, that you would allow us to focus on you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Every day a man would go out and peruse over his place of living. He looked at his herds. He looked at his land and he remembered that he'd been blessed by God in so many ways. Every day began that way for him. He wasn't anticipating any glorious blessing other than what God had already given to him. But every day he would go and he would stand on a knoll outside of his house and begin to thank God. He was a cautious father. For his children, his seven sons and three daughters would periodically have sleepover parties, if you will, at their homes. and Someone just about what you have when you have children and teenagers. And to be sure that... They didn't do anything contrary to God's word. He would offer a sacrifice with the intent of hoping that his children were in right relationship with God. But one day all of that changed. As he was out again on this hillside perusing over all that God blessed him with, one of his hired hands came to him and said, "The house is gone." It was destroyed. It wasn't long after that that another one of his hired hands came to him and said, "Your children are gone. They've all perished." in that house that was destroyed. Your sheep are gone, your cattle are gone, your donkeys are gone, everything is gone. Then there was a day that still in his heart, even though he lost everything, there was another day when he began to notice a patch on his skin. It wasn't there yesterday. It just seemed to appear, and, and that patch began to grow. And in fact, it, other patches began to also gather around on his body, and he wondered what it was all about became so painful and so intent that he went and fell upon a heap of ashes. And as he fell, there was a pottery that was there that broke. And he took a piece of that pottery and he began to scrape his sores because there was no relief. Seeing his wife come at a distance, he thought maybe she would come with some good news, but all she said to him was, Curse God and die. There was no comfort whatsoever. The next day, three friends come and they sit with him. They say nothing for seven days. And then they begin to deride this man. Such things as, you must have done something wrong for God to do this to you. You must have offended the the halls of heaven for you to lose everything that you have. And so intense was the accusation's that all this individual could say is recorded for us in the book that bears his name, Job. Job chapter 9. Let me read for you what Job longed for as he faced this situation. He says in chapter 9, 32 to 35, God is not mortal like me, so I can't argue with him or take him to trial. If only there was a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together, the mediator could make God stop beating me and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. And then I could speak to him without fear. But I cannot do that in my own strength. What Job longed for, God provided. For we're told, as the Apostle Paul writes for us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, it's the man, Christ Jesus. He pens similar words in Galatians 4 And in in verse 4 and 5, when he says, When in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. What Job longed for, God provided. And the description of that particular provision is given to us at the end of chapter 4 of Hebrews and the beginning of all the first 10 verses of chapter 5 that Pastor Steve read for us. It's the description, if you will, of a mediator, a high priest. And in fact, in our study of Hebrews, we're, we're turning a street From chapter 5 all the way to the end of chapter 10, now we begin to see the work of the superiority of Jesus Christ as it's related to why he came, his work. The first four chapters dealt with him as a superiority in his person. He's greater than the prophets. He is higher than the angels. He is so much more powerful than Moses and Joshua because he could provide a spiritual rest that they could not. And we find that in chapter 4, we have the word of God. And then, if you will, if you're not already there, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Notice, if you will, just two few verses before. Therefore, in verse 14 of chapter 4, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. A mediator. A mediator is an individual, a high priest was an individual that represented man to God and God to man. In the office of the high priest, Aaron, namingly given here first, it was their chore to offer sacrifices, to offer gifts of worship, And there was no provision in the Old Covenant, there was no provision other than the high priest in order to have that accomplished. And we know from the Old Testament that as you peruse those particular pages, you come to realize that not all of the high priests were good. You come to 1 Samuel and you are greeted with an individual by the name of Eli, he had two bad sons, and those sons did some of the most horrific things all in the name of God. They stole what they were not supposed to take. They initiated young ladies, even in the sense in the middle of the temple, the tabernacle, and did horrendous things with them. So much so that God told Samuel that he was going to destroy them. And then when you get to Judges, you you find high priests that were for sale. That they didn't mind discarding the work that God had called them to as long as they could have some extra cash flow, if you will, in the coffers of their pockets. One in particular that I'm reminded of as Pastor Steve was sharing this with me, that he was enticed by a foreign, if you will, religion And they said, we'll pay you if you come and have favor with us. And he said, sure. So when we come to Hebrews, we're looking for a mediator who is not infiltrated by any of those traits. He's the one that Job was looking for. Now, you must remember that at the time of Job, he and Abraham were in the same century, in the same places. There was no high priest yet. There was no, quote, mediator yet. It hadn't been established yet. And so Job looked for someone to take that place. what Job wanted, God provided for us. It's Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to walk you through the first four verses of chapter 5 and look at three qualifications of a high priest. They're listed here for us. It doesn't say first, second, or third, but they're listed here for us. And it's good that we stop and look at them, because in the following verses, when we get to 5 down through 7, there's a comparison between Jesus and the earthly priests. The first one, if I may draw your attention to, is in verse 1. The earthly priest had to work on behalf of people in things pertaining to God. He was their stand in, their representing the people before God and God before the people. They held an office that was limited to a particular tribe of Israel called Levi. No other individual called at that time to serve as a priest, whether high priest or low priest, they had to come from the tribe of Levi. That was a stipulation. Established, if you will, by God in the book of Exodus. The second thing that gives us the qualification for is this. He was responsible for offering sacrifices for sin, including his own. Did you catch that as Pastor Steve read that? In verses 1 to 3, including his own. If people wanted to worship God by offering a gift, they had to do so through the priest. There were no stipulations for bypassing the priest in the worship of God. None of the people of God had the freedom to simply draw near to God apart from the priest. And thirdly, he was called by God from among sinful, weak humans but note the indication of the high priest's weaknesses. He was a mere man among men. He was beset with common weaknesses. He was also sinful, like the people he represented. He had no honor in himself, but only from God. The writer of Hebrews gives to us the first high priest name of Aaron, Moses' brother. Yet even Aaron, as great as he was, had been chosen from the people. He was weak, sin-like people, and had no honor in himself. They could dress him up in priestly garments. Give him a grand title and endow him with holy responsibilities. But in the end, he was just a human like you and me. The fact is this, that such an imperfect priesthood was never meant to be permanent. When we come to verse 5 and through verse 6, 5 and 6, now the author of Hebrews begins to compare and contrast the earthly high priest and our heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ. The only comparison is that both Aaron and Jesus were called by God and appointed to the capacity as high priest. That's where the comparison ends. The contrast between begins with Christ's honor and glory, and were not mere something merely bestowed, but something that was rightfully His as the divine Son of God. Time and time again, the author of Hebrews makes mention of that glorious statement in Psalm two and verse seven. You. Are my beloved Son. We've traced that through and what that literally means. He's the only begotten Son of God. He's the only one. He is the pinnacle. There will never be another one, and there never was one before him. He is our heavenly high priest. But it goes on. In verse 6, you'll notice that the author quotes Psalm 110 in verse 4, where it says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, thus affirming that the identification as the Messiah, as both king and priest, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, rather than the order of Aaron. Here the difference between Aaron's earthly ministry his earthly priesthood and Jesus heavenly priesthood stand in sharp contrast. For you see it says that you were created for the order of Melchizedek forever forever With the difference, priesthood comes a host of other distinctions to be addressed in more detail. And we will get eventually to chapter 7, where Melchizedek is given clearly the identification that highlights the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to get ahead in your reading, I suggest you go to Hebrews chapter 7. You will be amazed at how wonderful our high priest really is. The first 10 verses closes within, with uh, the author provides a brief glimpse of the life and character of Jesus as he operated as God's priest function during his earthly ministry. Says in verse seven, as in the days of his flesh. To highlight the very fact that our high priest walked among men, the author directs our attention to some amazing truths by which we can declare how great our high priest is. For instance. The son of God. That term comes again and again and again. It's in reference to the fact that he is eternally enthroned in the heavenly realm. And as the son of God he submitted entirely to the Father's will. He offered prayers and supplications, crying with very human tears, as verse 7 says, even as he faced suffering and death. In his submission as a true human who was subjected to suffering of this world, the eternal Son of God also learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now, of course, lest you think I've gone off into a non theological discussion, Jesus was without sin because of his impeccable divine nature, and God ultimately answered his prayers for salvation did jesus need to be saved no that word salvation there is translated deliverance jesus was asking the father if there's any way that this cup can pass from me but not my will but your will be done he asked for deliverance From what he knew was coming. And yet God answered his prayer because he raised him on the third day. Wow. He was delivered. But when we come to this phrase, learned obedience. It's it's best understood if. As someone wrote, he he said these things. In considering the divine son, it must be difficult to attach any meaning to to the learning process. But in thinking of the son as the perfect man, it becomes at once intelligible. When Luke says that Jesus advanced in learning, chapter 2, verse 52, he means that by a progressive process, he showed by his obedience to the Father's will a continuous making of God's will his own. Reaching its climax and its approach to death, the cry of acceptance in the Garden of Gethsemane was concluding evidence of the son's obedience to the Father. Amazing. In this way, the author of Hebrews can describe the Son of God as being made perfect, that is, complete. The continual life of obedience to the Father that began when God the Son took on humanity in the incarnation climaxed in the complete obedience with his death on the cross. It's not that the son was imperfect and needed to be made perfect. It's not that, or that he was disobedient and needed to learn obedience. With his suffering and death, Jesus' mission of total obedience was accomplished. The earthly, phrase, uh, earthly phase of his eternal priesthood was complete. And as a result, he has become the only source of eternal Salvation to believers who trust and obey. What are these truths have to do with us today? Three things, if I may bring to your attention. First of all, We need a high priest who's not prejudiced. We need a high priest who's not prejudiced. Unlike the world's corrupt leaders and crooked institutions, Christ's perfect priesthood doesn't arbitrarily and unjustly discriminate. I'll give you one word that highlights that who so ever doesn't matter whether you were born in privilege or poverty whether you have a phd or a ged or whether they call you general or private nobody can manipulate or bribe our heavenly advocate he's on your side And he's making intercession for you. Secondly, we need a high priest that is permanent. All the other high priests came and went. Our high priest came and stayed. Because we're full-time sinners, we need a full-time mediator. Can someone help me with an amen? Or maybe you're perfect right now and you don't need to say that. I'll leave that with you in Christ. Because we face any moment crisis we need an every moment representative. Imagine if you could fellowship with God only by traveling hundreds of miles to a particular place at a certain time of year through a specific order of ministers. That's what had to happen with the high priests of Levi. And yet, our high priest is everywhere present. Never takes time off. And is always ready to listen to our prayers. Let me remind you the closing verses again of chapter 4. Where it says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lastly, we have a priest Who assures us of our place. Only a priest who demonstrated perfect obedience and offered up a perfect sacrifice can give us the assurance that our place is secure in him. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you may be also. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. These things I've written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. And you will continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Because our high priest is perfect. There is no question as to our place that we will be. If Jesus were only a really good priest rather than a perfect priest, or if he were only an above average sacrifice for most sins rather than the final sacrifice for all sin, then we would have room to worry about just how secure our salvation is. But because he's perfect, we can have confidence of our place of security in Him. Jesus Christ is still worth following because He is our perfect and faithful high priest who prays for us. And as Job moaned for that, we have that blessing of life as a follower of Jesus Christ. It gets better. It gets better as the text continues because Jesus now will be compared to being greater than the priesthood, greater than the sacrifices, greater than the old covenant. He's greater. He is superior to all that there is, for in him there is perfect spiritual rest. Do you know him? Have you placed your trust in him and him alone for your only hope of eternal life? He'll promise never to fail you. He'll promise always to keep you. And he promised to always direct you because he's our faithful high priest. Can we pray? God, it is amazing. It's amazing that we have such a great high priest, one who did and has felt. Our infirmities. But yet you had no sin. And in that. We have access. To a place that Job did not. We have access. We have a mediator. We have one who cares for us. One who prays for us. One who provides for us. One who directs us. One who will one day come for us. His name is Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That you are our great high priest. And as we continue in this glorious book, as the first century Christians were thinking of Turning back. Oh Lord, I pray that the words that the author penned for them will become very real for us too. That we would never forsake our God. That even in the times of distress, we would recognize how wonderful you are. So Lord, empower us, encourage us as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews. For it speaks of that Jesus Christ is still worth following. Amen.